Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this podcast series is going to be about the book of Genesis. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to, to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. If you're interested in a deep analysis of the book of Genesis, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy what you hear here, and if you have any questions, you can share, link, and subscribe. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to this Genesis podcast. This is going to be Genesis chapter 45. This will be the conclusion of the story of Joseph and his brothers. This is a very touching story. I love this one. All right, verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out for me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not, could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years, into which there shall neither be earing nor, har- nor harvest. <clears throat> and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So you can imagine here what the brothers are thinking. They're just kind of stunned at the at this revelation that they're having here. Uh, but notice the, the forgiveness that Joseph feels. Verse 9, Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. So now he's not speaking through an interpreter any longer. He's speaking to them in, in their native Hebrew tongue. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after this, his brethren talked with him. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beasts and go, get you into the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come unto me, and I will give you the, the good of the land of, of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so, and, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. 
And to his father he sent after this manner, ten asses laden with good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for, the father, for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. In other words, don't, um, you better make sure that ye return. And they went up out of Egypt, and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent, to carry him, the spirit of, of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. This is just such a beautiful story. I want to read now um, an excerpt out of Alfred Edersheim's uh, book um, about the Old Testament. Now this is going to be pretty lengthy, so if you want to just end here, that's the end of the scriptures. Uh, but I just want to read this because I like it so much, so I just want to put it in here for those that are interested in hearing it. My, as you can tell from how many minutes are left of the podcast, that's how long this is going to end up being. Brother Edersheim, we are now approaching a decisive period in the history of the House of Israel, yet once again everything seems to happen quite naturally, while in reality everything is supernatural. The same causes which led to a diminution of rain in the Abyssinian mountains and with it of the waters of the Nile brought drought and famine to Palestine. It is quite in character that in such straits the wild, lawless sons of Jacob should have stood helplessly despondent while the energies of their father were correspondingly roused. Why do ye look one upon another? I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence. The ten sons of Jacob now departed on this errand, but Benjamin, who had taken the place of Joseph in his father's heart, was not sent with them. Perhaps for real fear of mischief, by the way, possibly because his father did not quite trust the honest intentions of his sons. The next scene presents to us the Hebrew strangers among a motley crowd of natives and foreigners who had come for corn, while Joseph in all the state of the highest Egyptian official superintends the sale. In true Eastern fashion, the sons of Jacob make lowest obeisance before the governor over the land. Of course, they could not have recognized in him who looked dressed and spoke as an Egyptian noble, the lad who, more than twenty years before, had in the anguish of his soul, besought them not to sell him into slavery. The same transformation had not taken place in them, and Joseph at once knew the well-remembered features of his brethren. But what a change in their relative positions! As he saw them, bending lowly before him, his former dreams came vividly back to him. Surely one even much less devout, then Joseph would in that moment have felt that a divine hand had guided the past for a divine purpose. Personal resentment or pique could not have entered into the mind at such a time. If, therefore, as some have thought, severity towards his brethren partially determined his conduct, this must have been quite a subordinate motive. At any rate, it is impossible to suppose that he cherished any longer feelings of anger when shortly afterwards, on their expression of deep penitence, he turned himself about from them and wept. But we prefer regarding Joseph's conduct as consistent throughout. The appearance of his brothers before him seemed to imply that God had not meant to separate him from his family, nor yet that he should return to them, but that they should come to him, and that he had been sent before to keep them alive. But for such a reunion of the family, it was manifestly needful that their hearts and minds should have undergone an entire change from that unscrupulous envy which had prompted them to sell him into slavery. 
This must be ascertained before he made himself known to them. Moreover, its reality must be tested by the severest trial to which their altered feelings could be subjected. Thus, viewing it, we can understand the whole conduct of Joseph. Of course, his first object would be to separate the sons of Jacob from the crowd of other purchasers so as to deal specially with them, without, however, awakening their suspicions. His next, to ascertain the state of matters at home, then he would make them haste he would he would make them taste undeserved sorrow by the exercise of an arbitrary power against which they would be helpless, even as Joseph had been in their hands. Thus they might see their past sin and their present sorrow. All these objects were attained by one and the same means. Joseph charged them with being spies, who on pretense of buying corn had come to find out the defenseless portions of the land. The accusation was not unreasonable in the same state of Egypt, nor uncommon in eastern countries. It was not only that this afforded a pretext for dealing separately with them, but their answer to the charge would inform Joseph about the circumstances of his family. For naturally, they would not only protest their innocence, but show the inherent improbability of such an imputation. Here no argument could be more telling than that they were all one man's sons, since no one could risk the lives of all his children in so dangerous a business, but this was not enough for Joseph. By reiterating the charge, he led them to enter into further details, from which he learned that both his father and Benjamin were alive. Still, their reference to himself as one who was not seemed to imply persistence in their former deceit and must have strengthened his doubts as to their state of mind. <clears throat> but now experience of violence would show them not only their past guilt, but that however God might seem to delay, he was the avenger of all wrong. More than that, if Benjamin were placed relatively to them in the same circumstances of favoritism as Joseph had been, and if instead of envying and hating him, they were prepared even then, even when exposed through him to shame and, and danger, not only to stand by him, but to suffer in, in his stead, then they had repented in the truest sense, and their state of mind was the opposite of what it had been twenty years ago. Proceeding on this plan, Joseph first imprisoned all the ten, proposing to release one of their number to fetch Benjamin, in order to test, as he said, the truthfulness of their statements. This excessive harshness was probably intended to strike terror into their hearts, and at the end of three days he so far relented as to retain only one of their number as a hostage, at the same time encouraging them both by the statement that, in so doing, his motive was fear of God, and by the, assur by the assurance that, once satisfied of their innocence, he cherished no evil design against them. The reference to fear of God on the part of an Egyptian, and this apparent shrinking from needless rigor, must have cut them to the heart, as it brought out in contrast their own implacable conduct towards Joseph. Simeon was chosen to remain behind as hostage, because he was the next oldest to Reuben, the, um, who was not detained, since he had endeavored to save the life of Joseph. This also must have contributed to remind them of their former wrong, and for the first time they avow to one another their bitter guilt in the past and how God was now visiting it. So poignant were their feelings that in the presence of Joseph they spoke of it in their own Hebrew, ignorant that Joseph, who had conversed with them through an interpreter, understood their words. Joseph was obliged hastily to withdraw so as not to betray himself, but he wavered not in his purpose. Simeon was bound before their eyes, and the rest were dismissed, but each with ample provender for the journey, besides the corn that they had bought, and with the purchase money secretly restored to them. The terror with which the, une the unexpected turn of events had inspired them was deepened when, at their first 
night's quarters, one of them discovered the money in his sack. But as before, the impression was, was wholesome. They traced it. They traced in this also the avenging hand of God. What is this that God hath done unto us? The narrative, which on their return, had they to tell their father, was sufficiently sad. But the discovery now they now made that the money which they had paid had been secretly put back in each man's sack seemed to imply some deep design of mischief and filled Jacob and his sons with fresh fears. If the condition of their again appearing before the ruler of Egypt was that they must bring Benjamin with them, then he, who had already lost two sons, would refuse to expose to such a risk his darling, the last remaining pledge of his Rachel. Reuben indeed volunteered the strange guarantee of his own two sons, Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee, but this language was little calculated to reassure the heart of Jacob. For a time it seemed as if Jacob's former sorrow was to be increased by the loss of Simeon, and as if Joseph and his family were never again to meet. If, you, if we ask ourselves why Joseph should have risked this or added to his father's sorrow, we answer to the first question that since Joseph now knew the circumstances of his family and had Simeon beside him, he could at any time, on need for it appearing, have communicated with his father. As to the second difficulty, we must all feel that this grief and care could not be spared to his father if his brothers were to be tried, proved, and prepared for their mission. And did it not seem as if Joseph had rightly understood the will of God in this matter, since the heart of his brethren had been at once touched to, to own their past sin and the hand of God? Could he not then still further commit himself to God in well-doing and trust him? Nay, could he not also trust Jacob's faith to bear up under this trial? At most it would be short, and how blessed to all the fruits expected from it. Once more the event proved the correctness of his views. As the stock of provisions which the sons of Jacob had brought became nearly exhausted, a fresh application to the, to the royal granaries of Egypt was absolutely necessary. This time it was Judah who offered himself in surety for Benjamin. His language was so calm, affectionate, and yet firm as to inspire Jacob with what confidence can be derived from the earnest, good purpose of a true man. But he had higher consolation, that of prayer and faith. God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. Yet, even if God had otherwise appointed, if he saw fit to take him from his children, his faith would rise to this also. And if I, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Good is the will of the Lord, and he will bow before it. It is touching, as it were, to watch the trembling hands of the old man as he makes feeble attempts to ward off the wrath of the dreaded Egyptian. It was a famine year, and naturally... There would, be, um, there would be scarcity of the luxuries which were usually exported from the east to Egypt. Let them then take a present of such dainties to the Egyptian, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. As for the money which had been put back into their sacks, it might have been an oversight. Let them take it again with them, along with the price of what corn they were now to purchase. And so let them go forth in the name of the God of Israel, Benjamin, and all the rest. He would remain behind alone, as at the fords of Jabbok, no, not alone, but in faith and patience awaiting the issue. Presently, the ten brothers, with more anxious hearts than Joseph ever had on his way to Egypt, or in the slave market, or once more in the dreaded presence of the Egyptian, Joseph saw the newcomers, and with them what he judged to be his youngest brother, whom he had left in his home, a child only a year old. Manifestly, it was neither the time nor the place to trust himself to converse with them. So he gave his steward orders to take them to his house, and that they should dine with him at noon. 
Joseph had spoken in Egyptian, which seems to have been unknown to the sons of Jacob. When they saw themselves brought to the house of Jacob, it immediately occurred to them that they were to be charged with theft of the former purchase money, but the steward with kindly words allayed the fears which made them hesitate before entering at the door of the house. The sight of Simeon, who was at once restored to them, must have increased their confidence. Presently preparations were made for the banquet. It was a deeply trying scene for Joseph, which ensued when he met his brethren on his return home. Little could they imagine what thoughts passed through his mind, as in true oriental fashion they laid out the humble presents his father had sent, and lowly bowed themselves to him to the earth. His language ill-concealed his feelings again, and again he inquired for his father, and as they replied, Thy servant our father is in good health, he is yet alive. They again bowed down their heads and made obeisance. But when he fastened his eyes on Benjamin, his own mother's son, and had faltered at, and, and had faltered it out, so unlike an Egyptian, God be gracious unto thee, my son. He was obliged hastily to withdraw, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. Twenty-two years had passed since he had been parted from his brother, and Benjamin now stood before him. A youth, a little older than when he was in bitter bondage in prison, had commenced. Would they, had, would they who had once sacrificed him on account of jealousy be ready again to abandon his brother for the sake of, of selfishness? At the banquet, a fresh surprise awaited the sons of Jacob. Of course, after the Egyptian fashion, Joseph ate by himself and the Egyptians by themselves. He, as a member of the highest caste, and they from religious scruples, we know from secular history that the Egyptians abstained from certain kinds of meat and would not eat with the knives and forks, nor with, from the cooking utensils which had been used by those of any other nation. But it must have seemed unaccountable that at the banquet their places were arranged exactly according to their ages. How could the Egyptian have known them? And what mysterious circumstances surrounded them in his presence? Yet another thing must have struck them. In their father's house, the youngest of their number, the son of Rachel, had been uniformly preferred before them all, and now it was the same in the Egyptian palace. If the Egyptian ruler sent dresses or sent messes unto them from before him, Benjamin's mess was five times so much as, the, as any of theirs. Why this mark of unusual distinction, as it was regarded in ancient times? However, the banquet itself passed pleasantly, and early next morning the eleven gladsome and thankful were on their way back to Canaan. But the steward of Joseph's house had received special instructions. As before, each bundle of money had been restored in every man's sack, but besides, he had also placed in that of Benjamin, Joseph's own cup, or rather his large silver bowl. The brothers had not traveled far when the steward hastily overtook them. Fixing upon the eleven the stain of base ingratitude, he charged them with stealing the bowl out of which his lord drank and whereby indeed he divined. Of course, this statement of the steward by no means proves that Joseph actually did divine by means of this cup. On the contrary, such could not have been the case, since it was, of course, impossible to, to divine out of a cup that had been stolen from him, that it was stolen. But no doubt there was in Joseph's house, as in, all, as in that of all the great sages of Egypt, the silver bowl commonly employed for divination, in which unknown events were supposed to appear in reflection from the water, sometimes after gems or gold, with or without magical inscriptions and incantations, had been cast into the cup to increase the sheen of the broken rays of light. Similar practices still prevail in Egypt. The charge of treachery and of theft so took the brothers by surprise that in their conscious innocence 
They offered to surrender the life of the guilty and the liberty of all the others, if the cup were found with any of them. But the steward had been otherwise instructed. He was to isolate Benjamin from the rest. With feigned generosity, he now refused their proposal and declared his purpose only to retain the guilty as the bondman. The search was made and the cup found in the sack of Benjamin. Now the first great trial of their feelings ensued. They were all free to go home to their own wives and children. Benjamin alone was to be the bondsman. The cup had been found in his sack, granting that, despite appearances, they knew him to be innocent. Why should they stand by him? At home he had been set before them as the favorite, nay, for fear of endangering him. Their father had well nigh allowed them all, their wives and their children, to perish from hunger. In Egypt also he formerly got rid let's see, in Egypt also he, the youngest, the son of another mother, had been markedly preferred before them. They had formerly got rid of one favorite, why hesitate now, when providence itself seemed to rid them of of another? What needs what need, nay, what business had they to identify themselves with him? Was it not enough that he had been put before them everywhere? Must they now destroy their whole family and suffer their little ones to perish for the sake of one who, to say the best, seemed fatted, seemed fated to involve them in misery and ruin? So they might have reasoned, but they, but so they did not reason. Indeed, did they? Uh, let me start over. But so they did not reason, nor indeed did they reason at all. For in all matters of duty, reasoning is ever dangerous, and only absolute, immediate obedience is what is right is safe. To what is right is safe. They rent their clothes and laded every man his ass and returned to the city. The first trial was passed. The second and final one was to commence. In the presence of Joseph, they fell before him on the ground. In mute grief, Judah is now the spokesman, and right well does he adv his advocacy prefigure the pleading of his great descendant. Not a word does he utter in, extent, in extenuation or in plea. This one thought only is uppermost in his heart. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Not guilty indeed on this charge, but guilty before God, who hath avenged their iniquity. How then can they leave Benjamin in his undeserved bondage, when not he but they have really been the cause of this sorrow? But Joseph, as formerly his steward rejects the proposal as unjust, and offers their liberty to all except Benjamin, this gives to Judah an opening for pleading, in language so tender and graphic and earnest that few have been able to resist its pathos. He recounts the simple story how the great Egyptian lord had at the first inquired whether they had father or brother, and how they had told him of their father at home, and of the child of his old age who was with him, the last remaining pledge of his wedded love, to whom the heart of the old man clave. Then the vizier had asked the youth to be brought, and they had, and they had pleaded that his going would cost the life of his father, but the famine had compelled them to ask of their father even this sacrifice, and the old man had, re had reminded them of what they knew only too well how his wife, the only one whom he now, whom he even now he really considered such, had borne him two sons. One of those had gone out from him, just as it was now proposed Benjamin should, should go, and he had not seen him since, and he, and he had said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and now if they took this one also from him, and mischief befell him, his gray hairs would go down with sorrow to the grave. What the old man apprehended, had come to pass, no matter how, but could he, Judah, witness the grief and the death of his old father? Was he not specially to blame, since upon his guarantee he had consented in part with him?
to part with him. Nay, he had been his surety, and he now asked neither pardon nor favor, only this he entreated, to be allowed to remain in as bondsman instead of the lad, and to let him go back with his brethren. He besought slavery as a boon, for, for how could he see the evil that should come on his father? Truly, as Luther said, what would would I not give to be able to pray before the Lord as Judah here inter interceded for Benjamin? For it is a perfect model of prayer, nay, of the strong feeling which must underlie all prayer. And blessed be God, one who has one has so interceded for us, who has given himself as the as our surety and become a bondsman for us. His advocacy has been heard, his substitution accepted, and his intercession for us is ever continued and ever prevails. The Lord Jesus Christ is the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. <clears throat> the last trial was now passed. Indeed, it had been impossible to continue it longer, for Joseph could not refrain himself. All strangers were hastily removed, and Joseph, with all tenderness of affection and del delicacy of feeling, made himself known to them as the brother whom they had sold into Egypt but whom in reality God had sent before for the purpose not only of saving their lives, but of preserving their posterity, that so his counsel of mercy with the world might be accomplished. Then let them not be grieved, for God hath over, had overruled it all. Three times must he speak it and prove his forgiveness by the most loving marks before they could credit his words or derive comfort from them. But one object Joseph had now in view, to bring his father and all his family to be near him, that he might nourish them. For as yet only two out of the seven years of famine had passed, and in this purpose he was singularly helpful by divine, or helped by divine providence. Tidings of what had taken place reached Pharaoh, and the generous conduct of the vizier pleased the king. Of his own accord, he also proposed that what Joseph had intended, accompanying his invitation with a royal promise of ample provision and sending wagons for the transport of the women and children. On his part, Joseph added rich pre presents for his father. When the eleven returned first alone to their father and told him all, the heart of Jacob fainted, for he believed them not. Presently, as he saw the Egyptian wagons arriving, a great reaction took place. The spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. The past, with its sorrows and its sin, seemed seemed blotted out from his memory. Once more, it was not as before. Jacob, who spoke, but Israel, the prince with God and many and man, who said, "It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die." I bear testimony to the truth of these things, and what a beautiful story of forgiveness and repentance that this is. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. See you next time.